teach me about the great lakes. Teach me about the great lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a mostly twice monthly podcast where Stuart Carlton, a Great Lakes novice, gets people who are smarter and harder working than him to teach him all about the Great Lakes. Many of you may know I am not Stuart Carlton. <laughs> I am Carolyn Foley. I'm the research coordinator with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. Stuart is up to his ears in work right now. And so we decided to go ahead and record an episode anyway. So this is our first ever Stuart free episode. And helping me along on this Stuart free episode journey, we have Megan Gunn, Aquatic Education Associate. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Carolyn. How are you? I am all right, we were just discussing that it's a Monday. So. <laughs> Very much so a Monday. <laughs> and we also have Hope Charters, Illinois Indiana Sea Grants Communications Coordinator. Welcome, Hope. Hello. I'm excited to see how this hot mess goes down without Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. We're going to do great. Alrighty. So, um, Megan, I'm really excited with the guests we have today. Can you give us a little bit of background about who we're going to talk to? Yes. So while it is sort of a normal uh, Monday, it's, it's also an exciting Monday because we just finished putting together the final touches for a curriculum that is Monica's brainchild baby. It is putting together this curriculum for middle and high school students um, to learn about the connection between the Underground Railroad and the Great Lakes. And I am so so honored to be working with Monica on this project. She pulled me on a couple of months ago and it is just, it's been amazing. And I'm so happy to say that we have finally finished it and it's ready to go out tomorrow. Um, so if you're listening to this, whenever you listen to it, today is Monday, February 8th and it's gonna go out February 9th. So you can find it after that for sure. So today we're going to be talking to Dr. Monica Miles, who was formerly with New York Sea Grant, which is how I met her. She was the Coastal Literacy Specialist and the Associate Director for the Great Lakes Program at the University of Buffalo. She is now the Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer with the Physician Assistant Education Association. All right, and we will bring Dr. Monica Miles on Hello. Right after this musical interlude. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Dr. Monica Miles, welcome to this episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to um, to just be able to share what we've been working on. And, you know, we felt it was pretty innovative and we would just love to get it in the hands of teachers. So can you tell us a little bit, Megan just gave us a bit of background on the project. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Kind of how did the idea come about and how did you gather some of the information? Yeah, yeah. Before Monica digs in, I am going to actually say the full title since we couldn't yeah. remember it earlier. <laughs> so the you. full title is Freedom Seekers, the Underground Railroad, Great Lakes, and Science Literacy Activities. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So our, our lessons are, um, you know, and we wanted to, what we wanted to do was 
try to create um, lessons that not only um, centered around, you know, black students and black history, but also raised awareness of the Great Lakes. So what happened was it kind of created, it, it was created organically. So it was me and um, Dr. Bhavna Chowdhury, who was also um, a high school teacher in Niagara Falls, and she had a class that was considered um a rollback class and what that means is the students that were in the class were identified as being at risk for not passing the um, end of the, the the final exam for biology they've probably taken it once and are they've all taken it once and failed it and she said you know what they have them all in the same class I have to find ways of engaging them um, and to just show them and empower them that they can do this and and she was like I'm kind of you know she was feel at the time she was feeling like I'm kind of stuck because I've never had so many at one time, right? And so what she said, Monica, can you come in here? And so that's kind of how it started is we had this pre-existing relationship where we had created lessons um, using Henrietta Lacks um, for her environmental class. And so really bringing in that justice component has always been a hook for students. Students really want to learn and understand the world around them. However, sometimes we water it down and we don't give them how complicated and messy this stuff is. And um, and so what ended up happening was, as cliche as it may sound, Bhavna was able to take her, this class that was kind of, at, you know, sometimes struggling. Although we noticed as soon as we talked about environmental justice, they're sitting on the edge of their seat. So it wasn't that they wouldn't be engaged, couldn't be engaged. They were all in when we, when we had these materials for them. And she said, Monica, I can take them for free to the the um, Underground Railroad Heritage um, Museum. And she was like, but I want to connect it in some way to why is this important to living environment? Why is this important to the living environment exam, right? And why is this important for us to spend the time to make these connections? And, and so that's kind of really how it started was, is that we started generating lessons as best as we could with not having, you know, an in-depth understanding of the Underground Railroad and we said, all right, the kids are going to go there. We don't want them to, to go without having some kind of background about what they may potentially find. So we did things like creating um, Google Earth lessons where they could see how the landscape has changed over time, um, ra raising awareness about the fact that it was um, that the Niag Niagara River is also a Ramsar site and how it's not only environmentally rich, but there's culture right rich culture and what we sh shared was the um there was a um an environmental management report that the underground railroad created the underground railroad museum created but it didn't really talk about how the area was so um ecologically rich but then when you look at the ramsar information it had nothing to do about the fact that this is the same place where the underground railroad many people have passed and it was a major contribution so there's this there's this place with this complicated complex history and we we're like okay we're gonna find a way to connect the two and what we did not know at the time was we were going to embark on this journey that was just going to, it was a collaborative process. And we just basically just started looping people in if they had any kind of interest or expertise. Um, so Dr. James Ponzo, who's also a um, professor at the University of Buffalo, 
and he's an Africana Studies professor. He also is on um, works at the um, African, the Underground Railroad Museum, and he was like crucial to uh, for us to understand how the weather and climate and location, all of this oral history that um, was we were able to now translate into lessons, right? So we're able to talk about how Harriet Tubman, how she was a she's an unsung naturalist, so she relied heavily on her skills to navigate the land. And it's like, well, they all kind of did that, right? And so, like, we were really tapping into stories that kids don't really get to hear about, you know, Harriet Tubman and how how music and songs were used and how to make this connection to the living environment that they that they learn about and then also to the people that occupy the land. And so that's really kind of like where it started is – me and Bhavna wanted to create some lessons. And I said, you know, let me go meet with the museum. And so I met with the director and she said, you know, that's one thing that we really want to increase is our K-12 resources. And so we're like, all right, well, there's interest there. And then James joined the project. And then we had, um, Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper, who's, um, who's, who has a, uh, a very rich and strong commitment to, um, the Buffalo area, the Buffalo Niagara area when it comes to just environmental justice and community engagement. And they provided staff to be on the project. So it was basically a volunteer project. We had no grant money, but we had this idea that we were like, listen, it, it's 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 really dope. You're gonna love it. We're flying the plane and building it at the same time, and we just want people who are interested. And I wanted it to be free for educators. I did not want them to have to pay for this. I wanted it to be free. I wanted it to be usable, meaningful, and to hopefully make its way into the hands of of students who are underrepresented, so they can see that science has always been a part of their lives and it's always present. And a pushing pushing back against a deficit assumption. Right. Right. So that's really cool. Can um sorry, go ahead, Megan. Can I put a plug in there? Um this free resource is located on the Center for Great Lakes Literacy <laughs> website. So you can go to cgll.org and find it there. Yay! That's really awesome. Um so yeah, so okay, so I'm really intrigued by what um what you're saying about the you know looking at historic land use and how the wind and the, you know, the climate and stuff like that affected things. Is that how you sort of incorporate the biology and the history together? Like, is that the... So sometimes some of the lessons you'll see um, focus maybe directly on what was available. But then there are other things that students need to learn, like um, how archaeology was used for us to understand what happened to um, the Cataract Hotel. The Cataract Hotel was very pivotal and um, in the Underground Railroad, and it was actually ran by um, people who are now they were freedom seekers themselves and they basically ran it like a tight ship and they were getting people across the Niagara river very efficiently. And, but however, and throughout time, the, 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 the hotel itself actually got burnt down. And so we go into how there's science behind how do we actually reconstruct what this land was used for, even though it's now a bunch of rubble and just a foundation, but we're recreating through the history that the kids in Niagara Falls, they're not going to see the Cataract Hotel there now. They can go to the museum and see the replica, but now look at how this land has changed over time because Niagara Falls still is a very touristy um, area. So it's really bringing back in how the the land use can change over time. We also have a, uh, a component in there that Buffalo Niagara Waterkeepers provided. And actual example 
they're the kind of like the environmental um, organization that does a lot of restoration. And they're working with um, the group that's the Broadwood Park um, group who um, that's considered uh, that's also a very uh, rich with rich with history site for the Underground Railroad. And they're like, how can we increase access to this location? How can we listen to the voices of black residents about what should be here? And basically, that's what we do is we tie this this piece of land right? That's right on the water. And we say, okay, now how are you going to think about how you're going to connect this area that is so rich with history and it means so much to the community? How are you going to now think about them? Because now you're acting as if you're Buffalo Niagara water keepers, right? And you're now approaching this project and how easy it is for that to not happen. We see that with our Buffalo Outer Harbor Harbor development where no communities of color were consulted, right? And now we're in an area where gentrification is happening. So how do we weave in environmental justice? Well, we position we position kids to think about, okay, well, who are you asking? Right? Who whose information, who, who, how are you gaining your 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 information about how you're gonna approach problems? Have you thought about diverse perspectives? We also have a component in there about the contributions of Native Americans in the Underground Railroad. So we were very thoughtful about what lessons can do what for educators, but it was it's really robust in thinking about um what are the contributions of Native Americans, you know, how was the land used? And it's all of these things that students in a science class, for the most part, are not going to get. They're not going to get approach, science approached in these ways. And unfortunately, a lot of students in higher education don't get science approached in these ways. And the kids, it's like it's an empowering way for them to think about and unpack and show the complexity of, of our environment. Right? And, one, and one of the undertones of environmental justice is, where we where we have treated the land poorly is typically how we treat the people there and bringing those two into a focus is one way that we do that um in these lessons and to really highlight in a very honoring way and to show show the 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 just the innovation of people at the time right i love that idea and i really love the idea of bringing environmental justice to it in a modern way, you know, so you're teaching these kids to look at, okay, who were they asking when they remodeled these places, but also who were they not asking? Cause that's important too. And so, um, yeah, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier quite a few times was that these are Ramsar sites. And so can you kind of explain to our listeners what that is and why they're so important? Yeah, well, my watered down understanding of what a Ramsar site is, is basically an agreement that is entered into by two different countries. So in this case, it would be the United States and Canada. And basically we say this area is, it, it needs to be protected. You're going to protect it on your end. We're going to protect it on our end because we're doing a very poor job as it stands. So here's our our agreement that we're going to try to protect this wetland. And that's pretty much what that is, is that they're losing um, a lot of the wetland areas. And a lot of it is because of the, some of the development that's going on. So it's just bringing that into the, the conversation to say. So it's not only important locally, but internationally, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. which is very cool. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. That's awesome. The other thing I want to touch base on too is how this cuts across 
curriculums you know this is very cross-curricular which is amazing because you're pulling in history you're pulling in science i mean you could pull in english classes and find these primary and secondary sources to read about i mean i just i used to be a teacher so this is like gold <laughs> and i love that you want to make sure that it's free for people too because that's so important in education just making sure things are accessible absolutely and that's one of the things that i didn't really get to touch on is we also had a literacy specialist who donated their you know donated their time volunteered <laughs> to be a part of the project also and one of the things that I've always loved about working with literacy content specialists is that they show us different ways for kids to understand knowledge. And one of the things that came across as just I, re I reviewed, you know, just other seagull curriculum, other environmental curriculum that was out there is that they have kids doing a lot, right? So they're doing all this hands-on stuff and they say hands-on, minds-on, but I'm like, are we really developing the critical understanding for them to understand the complexity of this environment? environment and we forget that it is our job to also teach literacy because scientists are reading all the time so we put out this misnomer that the scientists don't read <laughs> and that and we're like well yes they do <laughs> and so then now that becomes that that tension right so we're, we're intentionally weaving in pieces and then asking students to draw out and come up with conclusions, right? So now why is this song, Wade in the Water, important, right? What, what information are you finding that, that this song had been used to describe the land, right? And so we're weaving that into our ecology lesson. So all of that is still there. All of the things that people say, oh, is this a rigorous lesson? Actually, these lessons are more rigorous because they're making so many different, um, connections and we broke them up in that way so that teachers can say you know what? I want to do just one activity this is kind of where my kids are and then here's additional resources if you want them to learn more about Harriet Tubman um, whether it be because it's Black History Month or or whatnot but then also there's some extension activities that are really important and what we did was we did three things the first thing was we leveraged the Smithsonian article that came out that talked about how black um, black Americans were not allowed they were not permitted to have things patented and how that actually had connection to slavery and so it was never that we weren't creating it was never that we weren't innovative it is that this is being erased out of historical records and this is one way that you don't really realize that so many things were created and invented by black Americans, right? And so we're recentering this history where it's, you know, unpacking the what happened with patents and things like that, right? Recognizing that. Then we have a more living history project where we're leveraging the um the the change makers. And that has over 220 um black scientists that were interviewed and the kids can go there and learn about each different person that's alive right and so they can see how black uh, black americans are making contributions today because they need to see representation and this is important for just black students to see this is important for all students to see and recognize that black americans have always been making these 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 contributions especially because there's so many diversity initiatives talking about inclusion well that's one way to include is to show how other groups have made these um, um contributions and other things that we have in there that's so dope we bring in the historical data where kids are looking at the actual census of the eight of the 1850s to the 1890s and they're looking at Niagara County and to say okay now let's track the history of this person 
Let's make some assumptions about what we can gather. And like now you're being positioned as a historian to retell the story. And then, okay, what were you totally sure about? What are some things that you're like, "Mm, I'm not so sure about this data, but here's my best guess. Scientists do this all the time. They (laughs) do. They absolutely do. (laughs) So it's like bringing in the things that scientists do. That's really That's cool. I love too that you are intentionally erasing the whitewashing of history. You know what I mean? I think that's so important for these kids to have in their lives. Absolutely. And, it's also, and I'm also like, I'm, I feel like one of the things that was most useful to me in my science career was like learning that actual science is nothing like the experiments that happen in your super controlled conditions in your beaker, right? Like, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like you just said, um, Monica, that, um, you know, they make things up, they do their best guess all the time. So that's, that's a fantastic skill to be teaching. Yeah. And and I think one of the things that we, this project, and I I don't know if it's coming across, this project was so empowering and liberating for us as a team. And we have been working on this since last April and we were meeting weekly and then, you know, a pandemic happens, but this project was one thing that we said, okay, let's just build this one lesson at a time and 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 what turned into one lesson is like what we have over 12 or 13 activities that are robust and 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 I just sat back and looked at it and I was just like oh my gosh this would never have happened in a silo this project had to be interdisciplinary because we are connecting things that have and in many cases have not been connected from a science standpoint and and then connecting the Great Lakes. So we're always talking about, oh, teach the kids about Great Lakes. Okay, but what are the cultural components are we, that we're going to add? Because this area is culturally rich. You can do a whole lesson series on just really highlighting and acknowledging how indigenous folks have been on this land and, and then also weaving in what are their current environmental justice issues, right? This Like, we don't listen. Like... We just don't listen. They've been giving us recommendations for a long time. Now, look, look, we told you. (laughs) We do not listen. That actually came out and why we were so intentional of weaving in Native American and in all of the lessons that I've uh, put together for New York Sea Grant. I've I've been intentional about reinserting um, Native American contributions because they, too, are erased. And it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to put, you know, put this together and, you know, having conversation conversations with Native Americans that, you know, are, that would be my friends, right? So I'm not just asking, you know, like, like say random people, but these are people I actually have a relationship with because I don't want them to be feeling exploited. And I say, this is what we put together. Tear it up. Give me your, give me your, (laughs) give me your best feedback. And then, you know, moving forward um, from there. So just this work happens in relationship. This project would never would have happened if we all did not have a relationship the way that we um, that we had developed over this during this project. Mm-hmm. That's so great. I love that you included the tribal nations too. Yes. So you said you have twelve or thirteen lessons uh-huh. now. Do you plan on doing more? What's what's your plan moving forward with that? So my you my plan is going to love it. They're going to be asking for more. <laughs> I that look. I hope so. And that's why I was like, we got to push this out as best as we can. Uh, remember, we don't have any funding, so all of this is boots on the ground outreach <laughs> and, <laughs> and professional development. But I really, honestly, I've I've loved the the time that I was able to spend on the project, and um, 
and Megan Gunn and Megan Gas, they are both still a part of the Sea Grant Network. And I really have passed over the torch um, to these two women that just came in towards the end. And Megan was like, look, I know you're about to transition. You cannot leave without this being complete. And I said, well... I cannot transition without it being. Let's she said done, she just felt like it. It would not be the same if if she just. She was like, you just have to help see this through. And I said, okay, well, let's let's go, let's do it. And we we worked hours, and I couldn't even tell you how much we worked on this curriculum. If you take a peek at it, you'll see it, it is dope. It's, it's tight. very robust. It's yeah. When I say we put all of our <laughs> our energy into creating something that um is um. It's it's just we it, it's it's almost a piece of ourselves. We all have a piece of ourselves in this curriculum. And what does it mean for different people to be able to to collect collectively work together? Is that you should be able to find a piece of yourself. You should be able to identify your contributions. This work should feel good, right? And so that's kind of like it was a feel good project also during the pandemic. And so. I'm just glad to be able to pass it, pass the torch along. And I'm, I, I know it is in great hands with the Seagull Network and they will keep pushing it out. <laughs> we will. That's so fit. Oh, this is, this is so wonderful. <laughs> I'm so, so excited to hear about this. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show to speak with us about it. Now I'm going to pretend to be Stuart again and say, that's not the real reason we brought you on to teach me about the Great Lakes. We brought you on here to ask about food. So, <laughs> Dr. Monica Miles, if you could choose to have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you choose? Uh, I would have to choose a great sandwich for lunch. That would be my choice. And mine is turkey. That's actually my favorite turkey on Costanza rolls. It's more of a local vendor, but I love Costanza rolls and I just make them well during the pandemic. I just make them in the house, but those are my favorite. You know how many people have told us that the best they've picked sandwich and then said the best place to get it is in my kitchen. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I have all the little fixings, all the little different oils I want, all those. <laughs> I'm like, I go to work. My, I, I spend a lot of time on putting my little my little sandwiches together. And then I have my little chips on the side. Sounds great. Sounds delicious. And um, you clearly have a lot of great experience as a STEM and education researcher. Um, what is it that makes you good at that job? Or what is a key <laughs> skill for an education researcher to have? Honestly, to, to, to understand that, <laughs> um, it really trying to understand the, the voices and perspectives of marginalized, uh, students and people. And what can I do to either listen, make connections and make concrete examples of what does that look like in their lives? So as a researcher, that's what, what guides me is really providing concrete examples of this is what, um, racial microaggressions look like. This is what, erasure from curriculum looks like. This is how assessments are used in a deficit way that that attribute to why we see such underrepresentation of people of color in STEM. And then when they are in STEM, right, bringing up how their experiences are despite 
having shown their capabilities multiple times. This isn't the, oh, they can't cut it. No, they are cutting it and they're still experiencing this mess. So Mm -hmm. now what, right? And to show that these environments are all completely socially constructed, but they have real consequences in people's lives and just recentering that. And honestly, that's just um, my, that's one of my commitments. And the curriculum work was kind of like, okay, Monica, you, you talk about all this culturally relevant stuff. You've talked about it in your research. You say that as a researcher. Now put your, put your foot, put your money where your mouth is and show me what this lesson looks like. And that's one of the best things I got from New York Sea Grant is I had to sit as a practitioner and connect two things that don't always go together, which is the practitioners and the researchers. And so this, these lessons can now be, here is how a scientist can contribute to creating K-12 lessons. Here are, here's an example of what it looked like. And then we also have other resources that came out that, that will be coming out um, where we put together, I put together um, children's novels and I show diverse, um, uh, diversity in different characters within the coastal sciences. Why is that important? Because these books about children of color and just different contributions from women and people of color should be on the shelves anyway. But then here are the activities that align. So now you can have elementary school um, teachers having access to, and they don't have to figure it out. And so really my thing is just what is a problem and how can how can I, as best as I can, with the skills that I have been given, try to meet the needs of other people? And And that's one of the ways that I've done it. Now, what continues to push me on is working in collaboration. This work will never be done alone. Work with working with people that I like working with. We do not have to force ourselves to do equity work. And so that's one of the things is working with who wants to work with you. Everybody don't want to work with you. Fine. It's going to be it. this project started with one other person. And look at where it is today. You will convince more people to to rock out with you and create things that have never been created. Right. And so that was one of the things that came out. I was like, wow, we really created something that didn't exist and it would not exist if we didn't work in collaboration. So sometimes it's just knowing that you can still create things that are innovative and and hopefully transform the way students are experiencing um, K-12 environments. Teamwork makes a dream work. Yes. I think this is so important right now during, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement has kind of been put on the back burner because of the you know, extended pandemic, but we are not done fighting this fight, right? So I think this kind of work is so important to be continued on. Right, absolutely. And I think that now is the time for people that have been doing equity work for a long time. We're like, okay, finally, we got everybody's attention, (laughs) right? (laughs) And there's sometimes gonna be a little irritation with that. It's like, well, what you think we've been talking about? But but it's like, the the iron is hot, right? And, and if you're if you're looking for people to to join you, you're you're not going to get much resistance at at this point in time. And you'll find your people that want to work with you. you there's more people out there will that will want to work with you than than won't. And the people that don't, you don't have to change their minds because I think we approach this equity work like I need to convince them to stop doing what they're doing. No, I'm not wasting my energy on you. I'm gonna go over here and work with Megan, and we're gonna design this lesson, and we're gonna pour our house her our heart into it and it's going to feel good and I'm going to feel good. And this is another way that I could resist. And so I think that it's really um, empowering people through more positive interactions. Cause sometimes when we talk about diversity, we all get weighed down and it's heavy. Anybody that you talk to on this project, it's, it's a feel good project, right? It's, like, wow, we all got to contribute. We we contributed across racial lines, across gendered lines, across class, across, you know, just different positionings that people had, different experiences. And it's like, this is what inclusion 
is, and this is why we need inclusion, because you're going to keep putting out trash. Some of these lessons that are out there, I'm like, this is horrible. What are kids learning? But here's an example where we can say, this is why you need diverse perspectives to help you design curriculum. Mm -hmm. Amen. (laughs) That's all I can say about that. (laughs) Monica, where can can people go to learn more about the work that you do, the EJE, and... Is anything else you want people to learn more about? Absolutely. Project. <laughs> Absolutely. So one place I would strongly recommend people to look is um, New York Sea Grant does have a, a DEI page. Go to that DEI page. There is a tool there that was put together by Jess Coonan, who basically um, she breaks down all of the different mapping tools and how you can apply them to learn your context and your community. In some places, especially during a pandemic, that's a good place to start. There's a there's a webinar that's already up there that you can just watch the video. But it's a it's a it's a it's a guide to understanding how can you use all these free resources that are out there. And it's in one place. That's one place I would start. Um, the second place is if you are on ResearchGate, you can follow me and follow my work there, Monica Miles, M-I-L-E-S. And I'm also on Twitter. I finally got me a Twitter handle. It is Dr. Miles under, it's Dr. D-R underscore Miles with a Z. So <laughs> you can follow me at Dr. Miles. Dr. Nice. Monica and Biles. One last time, Megan, where can they find this? On Seagull, right? So it sounds like Seagull, like the bird, but it's yeah. actually Center for Great Lakes Literacy, which the URL is what? CGLL.org. All right. So Dr. Monica Miles, thank you so, so much for coming and sharing this project with us. Thanks for your work on it. It sounds amazing. And um It's been really, really a genuine pleasure to chat today. So thanks for coming on here and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that was awesome. Um, So Hope and Megan, what did you, what's something you learned today? (laughs) She was such a great guest to have on. I learned that. It takes a whole lot of work to come up with these curricula. Um, And I just, I think the biggest thing was just that there are these connections to, you know, Black people, Native people, and they have such deep cultural roots to these natural sciences, natural resources, and the Great Lakes specifically, which I did not know before because that's not something I learned in school. My biggest thing that I learned was just find the people, find your people. There are people that want to work with you. Find your people. They can... every. There's so much work to be done, right? And you'll just just find the perfect people to to keep these projects moving. Exactly. I had affirmed for me that I really enjoy working with Sea Grant because yeah. Like, yeah. there's the like there are these amazing people who just get together and are like, we're just gonna do this thing that is gonna be amazing. And mm-hmm. thanks, Megan, for all your work on it too. And when Hope was like, what comes next? It's like, <laughs> wait. <laughs> I will, I will, everything. <laughs> I will add that we are going to be updating the document throughout this year and throughout future years um, based on some, some things that we're finding. But if, if teachers or anybody wants to provide us with any additional lessons that they would like to see or some context for lessons that we, they would like to see, we, we made up the lessons essentially. So like some of them 
they were articles and we made questions to go along with that reading article or they were this, they were reading the census and came up with questions to go along with, how do you read the census? Um, and so if there are resources that, that teachers or anybody thinks that we can, can and should add to it, just let us know. Yeah, or even feedback can... on how they've adjusted it to make it better for yes. the classroom. That would be helpful mm -hmm. for other teachers too. Yeah, so there is a, a link on the Seagull website underneath where this is landing um, where you can provide that feedback. Cool. Where else can people go to learn about the work that you're doing, Megan Gunn? Hmm. Well, you can find me on Twitter at underscore TFFP and on Instagram at the Familiar Faces Project. Cool. And you, Hope Charters, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing? As a communication coordinator, I run all of Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant social media. So you can find us at ILINC Grant on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you really want to follow my personal account, I'm at Hope Kira on Twitter. Very cool. I still have a flip phone, so I don't do the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Till next time, the next episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes. Keep, I don't think I can say this, Stuart. I can side. do it. Keep grading those lakes. Right on, Megan. Megan. <laughs> for the One, two, three. Teach, Teach me about, about the Great, great lakes. lakes. Teach me Teach about, me the, about great. the Great Lakes. <laughs> <laughs> We're so bad at being Stuart. <laughs>